0: Thank you again for making the time to uh, listen in and hopefully we learn together as God has something for us. My name is Jeff Fuller, the pastor at Living Hope Wesleyan Church, hopeforvermont.org. You can certainly find this podcast Apple iTunes, or Google Podcast as Living Hope Wesleyan. And we believe people's stories matter, and they certainly help. And one with a great story is the one, the only, Sam Rayner. Sam, unfortunately, cannot join via a video, but we certainly can hear his radio voice. So, Sam, welcome in.
1: Yeah, it's a shame that uh, the system said that I was too ugly to, to come on to uh, the video. But, yeah, you can hear my voice, and uh, it's good to be back with you chef. I mean, we we've done this once before, so I'm I'm honored to be back on the show. Thanks for bringing me back on.
0: Yeah, man, and some people might think I blocked you because the Tampa Bay Rays <laughs> beat the Boston Red Sox last night. Kind of a not true, game.
1: not true. I'm I'm not, I'm not even wearing my Tampa Bay Rays hat.
0: <laughs> so, talk to me a little bit about being a baseball fan, being a Rays fan. Did you grow up loving baseball?
1: Oh yeah, Now I've got a story there, and I'll try to keep it brief. So, I was living in St. Petersburg, Florida, and my dad did, my dad was a pastor, and he did a friend day at his church. And we've kind of revamped that program. Now we call it Invite Your One yeah, yeah. Uh, at Church Answers, but basically, invite a friend. It's a pretty basic program. Well, he did that at his church. This would have been back in the 80s, the 1980s. And he worked hard to get the mayor to come to our church. So, uh, he was able to talk the mayor into coming. And I remember the mayor being in our house and telling us that we're going to get a baseball team. Someday we're going to get a baseball team. Well, it was about 10 years later in 1998, if I have that date right, that the Tampa Bay Rays uh, had their inaugural season. So I had since moved on. I'm back now living in Florida in the area, but I wasn't living there at the time, but ever since they became a team through the expansion draft, um, you know, I uh, I've been pulling for them. Uh, it's kind of my kind of a hometown for me, and uh, my favorite player was Fred McGriff back in the day. For those of you baseball fans, the Crime Dog, and he actually he's from the Tampa Bay area, and he went to play for the team. So it, that when they when they uh, when they did the expansion draft and they became a team in ninety eight, I became a fan, and I have been a fan ever
0: since. So a bad pastor joke is: Are you more of a fan since they dropped the name Devil from the Devil Ray uh, title? <laughs> uh, uh <laughs> it doesn't matter Let, let's move on hey so being a pastor I, I get i become more of a fan
1: every year how about that i'll answer that question
0: hey that's good so being a pastor there's certainly some highlights i believe you can see my screen this is a baptism you did i love one person's comment about what a big baptistry but uh talk to me about the joys of baptism being a pastor and seeing just the the new life just experienced by these individuals
1: Oh yeah, I mean we're we're in a good season as a church. We had uh, beach baptism. That's uh, one of the blessings of being here on the coast is being able to get out there uh, on the beach and baptize. And we baptized several that day. And it's uh, the the Gulf of Mexico is quite a big baptistry. And then obviously in our tribe we we immerse, um, and uh, it's just a it's just a great thing uh, to be able. to to do and God's really blessed with some new members, new people, um, people who are expressing faith in Christ. And uh, f- for those of you who are looking at this, looking at this on the YouTube channel, uh, you can see her expression. She's quite thrilled to, to be baptized. And we were thrilled for her.
0: Oh, it's wonderful. And I know for myself, uh, we used to baptize in a baptistry, but then we said we're in Vermont and we have mountain streams and lakes everywhere. So now we do that. We try to get them in before November because it does get a little chilly. But uh, just taking part of God's creation is uh, has been remarkable as well. Hey, would you share with me? I love your um, your website, for dot fortheneighborhood.com. You're the pastor at West Bradenton uh how have you survived this last year and a half
1: well survive is probably the right word um and we thankfully so we're not we're smaller on the other side of this just like a lot of churches i I wish i could say hey we grew by a hundred percent during the pandemic we didn't um you know at least attendance i mean what's what's growth right there's spiritual growth there's numerical growth there's all kinds of growth in the church when you say are you growing as a church i think most people mean uh, how many people are attending um so we're not having as many attend we're getting close to where we were before the pandemic we're as large as we'd ever been as a church before the pandemic um in fact it really just sucked the momentum out of the church when we had to stop gathering uh for several weeks but we're getting back there Yes, yeah, survives the right word we also use the uh pandemic as an opportunity to kind of reset the church not not you know, radically change the church, but to reset kind of who we are, what we're doing, um, how uh, some of our approaches to ministry um, and our core. Here's the neat thing. We lost some on the periphery. Um, And by the way, you always have some on the periphery, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got people kind of fading in and fading out of the church. Uh, You're probably not doing your job as a church if you don't have people on the periphery, because that means people are kind of, no no one just shows up and starts coming to everything. They kind of just They kind of phase in. Oh well, we had some people on the periphery that were either fading in or fading out, and we just lost them during the pandemic. We lost about you know ten to twenty percent of the of the people that had been attending. But the core here's the neat thing: the core is stronger than ever. I, I mean, our core. I, I mean, I, I can't. Our church was founded. Uh, it was started in 1954 and they kind of have a founding date of think of 1957, but people started gathering in 1954. So I can't, I can't say it's the strongest it's ever been. I have no idea. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't even, my dad wasn't even alive in 1954. Um, But I I would imagine our core is as bad as strong as it's ever been uh, just because of what I see as a pastor and how people are rallying together. So we're in a good place as a church on the other side. It was not easy. Um, It was, uh, there were a lot of, the dark days sounds a little dramatic, um, but there there were plenty of times where it was just like, okay, what are we doing? Are We gonna survive? Are We gonna get through this? Are we gonna gather again? It was hard, as you know, Jeff. I mean, you you lead too. Yeah. I mean, it it was hard.
0: And again, Sam Rayner makes some time on Instagram. It's Sam S Rayner on Twitter. It's Sam Rayner, and uh, you are a man of uh, either great ambition or many talents. You're involved in uh, so many things. And I just wanted to point out the uh, Established Church podcast. You can see it in the background, uh, something I enjoy. But before we go there, just touching back on, you had an addition to your family. I believe when you were on, it was breaking news. Can you just talk about how your family has grown and how that's made you better, but also had you uh, looking at your daytime or perhaps a little bit more?
1: Oh, you talking about fostering?
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: Okay. I'm like... Uh, is my is my wife doing some sort of strange <laughs> announcement? uh did she get to you? and uh, do we have kid number six on the way because that 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 would be a surprise. yeah, you'd be um, first to know so uh, yeah, yeah, thanks Jeff. Thanks. and we're at that point in our marriage really, uh, with five kids now, where if we were to do something like if she were to tell me, that's about how she would tell me. like oh by the way <laughs> number six uh, no, we have five kids, ten and under soon. well. As of today, it's my daughter's birthday. So, oh. Maggie, Maggie, happy birthday! Yeah, uh, she's definitely. my oldest, and my wife's birthday as well. So my wife had her firstborn on her birthday, so they both wow. share a birthday. It's both their birthdays. Um nice. So, we uh, yeah, we foster. We have adopted Dominic. Um, so that was we have three biological children. Then we started fostering, and then Dominic came along, and we were we were blessed to be able to to adopt him. We have a fifth child now uh she's a joy uh and we are fostering her although her dad is doing well so we're hoping you know foster the whole point of fostering is reunification you you want you want the child to go back to to the to the home from which they were removed um so we're fostering hoping that uh that she gets to go back home she has been with us a while it's it's unfortunate although it's a blessing to us um but yeah uh, she's great uh we love we love our little two-year-old running around Um, and, uh, yeah, five kids, 11 and under now and a full, (laughs) full house with a whole lot of noise. If you hear screaming in the background, um, there's nothing nefarious going on. I just have five children.
0: Yeah. We just call that home, but, uh, yes, Sam, Sam, could you just share a little bit and hopefully probably a poor segue, but, uh. You have mentioned on several podcasts about how we as churches can foster one another, whether a church has a building and their congregation is struggling or a church doesn't. And I like how you put fostering and adopting versus merger, takeover, uh, some of those things. But how important, especially during this time coming out of COVID, that we look for opportunities to foster, work together, and just really uh, enhance the life of uh, different local churches.
1: You know, Jeff, you've really hit on something and there's going to be more of this and there's a, a bigger need for it. So part of where the fostering adoption language came from with the church, uh, it was derived from my experience as a foster dad, as adopting my son. Um, so, you know, the ch- the term church merger doesn't offend me. It doesn't offend me at all. Um, you know, business term, I, I think there's a place to use business practices in the church. I mean. You have financial statements, you, you know, whatever. I mean, there, there, there's, you can learn from the business world, but I just thought there's got to be a better, more biblical term for what's really happening. Right. And you know, the doctrine of adoption is a very beautiful doctrine in the Bible. I mean, we're all adopted into the family of God. So every, um, every, ad- let me put it this way: uh, if you're talking about a child, every adoption begins with a tragedy. Because something has happened there. It, there's there's always a tragic story, even if nobody's at fault. You know, there's there's a tragedy that causes a child to have to, to for the need for adoption to arise. Um, and in some ways, every church adoption or every church, you know, that gets fostered is, it kind of begins with tragedy because it means they're not in a good place. They can't do it on their own. So what adoption is, is when a typically a larger church, healthier church, um, kind of subsumes or brings—that's the business term—but brings yeah. into the family a smaller, struggling church. Okay, so you—you you are not going to make it on your own. It's like, you know, Dominic. When uh, when we started fostering him, he was what eighteen months old. Uh, he's a strong kid. He can he can handle himself. But at eighteen months old, right. he was not going to be able to make it on his own in life. Yeah. Like no kid can. So. There's, there's the, we, we, he needed to be fostered and then he needed to be adopted. So adopting is what what many would call church merger, bringing in a struggling church into, into your family. But I prefer the term adoption because of the biblical connotation there. Fostering is just what it sounds like. Uh, This is a temporary uh, relief that you're sending to a church. So you, you, it's six months, it's a year. I wouldn't go longer than a year but you're going to come alongside a struggling church. You're going to send them resources and people. Um, When we fostered Southside in our community, uh, Southside Baptist was a church in our community. Uh, We sent them preachers and worship leaders. Uh, We sent them resources. We helped refresh their building. Now, eventually they came to us and said, we want to be adopted. Um, And, Surprised us a little right. bit because of the timing, but it was the right thing. So it was it was God's thing. So we 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 did that. But frankly, you know, in the foster system, you don't really foster to adopt with the child. You you right. foster to get the kid back to the to their family. Um, and it's kind of the same way with the church. You know, if you're going to foster them, you know, let's make sure your motives are right. You know, this, you're not trying to poach their campus or poach their people. You're just going to help them. Some fostering situations will turn into adoption where the church you know, brings into the family another church. But I see them as two separate things, although very much uh, interconnected. Uh, But when you say you're adopting a church or fostering a church, it's very similar as would be the case with the child.
0: Yeah, that's great. And uh, I know for us at Living Hope Wesleyan Church, um, there's a church, Hunger Mountain Christian Assembly, that has a large facility that they've made available to us at 4 p.m. Sundays so we could start meeting in person because we were gathering at a middle school and uh, then we went online for the 14 months. And for myself personally, yeah, so it's been uh, interesting dynamic. And for us uh, this summer, we're planning all outdoor gatherings and just really praying for wisdom in the fall I, i'm glad we didn't have a mortgage the last 14 months but maybe mm-hmm. god wants us to uh, build a community center so we can still set up for church but re- be a resource to our local community but i was just going to share yeah i've been adopted three times i share i was abandoned in south korea adopted by a family in yakima washington that was marked a fail adoption then i was adopted with my parents here in vermont And then becoming a Christian, uh, understanding that God loves us so much. So there is a question in there, and that is simply, my friend's church merged with another church, and my friend who was a pastor, he was planning on being co-pastors, but that didn't work out as it seems is the case. Could you just talk about when a church is adopted, even with the best intentions of co-pastors, how have you found that working out, whether it's a, quote, rainerism or whether it's uh, based on statistical data?
1: <laughs> well, Jeff, in reality, co-pastoring through adoption rarely works. Um, that Could you point to cases where it has worked? Of course. And could two pastors, it, could it be a beautiful thing with two pastors? Of course it can. Um, but it's it's it, it's even more challenging. The adoption is challenging enough bringing on co-pastors through the adoption is is extraordinarily difficult can it can be done but it's hard so it doesn't surprise me to hear that you know even with the best of intentions perhaps this uh, particular uh, in this particular situation it didn't work out i would just say there needs to be very clear guidelines up front as to what is going to happen most of the time when adoptions don't work out through the leadership um there are unmet expectations. There's things that you thought were going to happen that didn't happen. Um, And, uh, you know, I just recommend upfront, okay, who, most of the time when a church adopts another church and the church that's being adopted has a pastor, most of the time it works better if that pastor is not a co-pastor, but rather, rather say a campus pastor. Um, And one of the things that we do, uh, we have two campuses we have a campus pastor at, at, at our Southside campus. Uh, he preaches there every week. Um, he's bivocational, and he serves under me, uh, just like the rest of the staff serve under me. And we've made that structure very clear. So we're not co-pastors. Um, he, he is a pastor on our team, uh, but he serves under the, the vision of my leadership. And and I, I know that sounds kind of selfish and, you know, uh, boy, wouldn't it be great if we didn't need have to need all these leadership structures and all that. And and there's some truth to people who say that, you know, man, if, ideally, yeah, that would be awesome. We don't even need a leadership structure in the church, but God gave pastors and leaders to the church for a reason. And um, though I don't know the particular case that you're talking about, I don't know the nuances or the ins and outs of it at all. Uh, I would just say it's often those unmet expectations that um, that cause trouble and and can really hurt uh, in, in, in the adoption scenarios. And you just kind of have to be upfront. And most of the time, in most cases, I recommend when I'm coaching people through, um, this adoption merger kind of, uh, event, uh, I would say, you know, you need a very clear leadership structure that needs to be, that needs to be set up right from the beginning. And typically it's the larger church and the pastor of the larger church that's going to oversee, um, the smaller church. Um, you may not like that. That may not be, you may be like, Oh, you know, does, that, does it have to be that way? No, it doesn't have to, but um, that's, that tends to be what happens. And they, they tend to work a little better when you, when you're clear on the front end.
0: And again, Sam Rayner makes some time, a uh, son of Tom and Nellie Joe Rayner, brother of art Rayner. And I guess you have a couple other brothers uh, as well. Uh, it is his wife's birthday. So if you have any contact information, make sure that you uh, say happy <laughs> that's birthday awesome. to them. That's hey, awesome. So, I am looking and trying to bring this back to the local church level. You do not shy away from some difficult topics that are culturally relevant, but that the church needs to hear, but many people balk at hearing. Why has it been important for you to take on this fever pitch series this last month of June? Or this current <laughs> month?
1: Jeff, you're so good. <laughs> you are so good. <laughs> and you ask really good questions. Let me tell you, to your listeners— I, I do I do lots of podcasts and I do lots of, and I'm going to answer your question. I'm not I'm not just trying to get around. I'm not trying to get around it. Um, this guy right here, this host is one of the best hosts. Uh, he does his research. He is ready. And for you listeners, if you're a regular listener to this show, this is a treat because he digs and he finds things. And yes, I am in a, I'm in a series called Fever Pitch. And I originally was not going to do the series. My staff kind of said, we need to go there. There's just a, there's just a lot that's out there right now. Um, and so we're covering topics like socialism and capitalism and what does the Bible say, sex and gender, and what does the Bible say. Uh, we're, we're a strongly pro-life church. So when we say we're holistically pro-life, what does that mean? It's not yeah. just the abortion issue. There are other pro-life issues. Um, so yes, there are these are hot button issues. Um, but the Bible has answers. The Bible does speak into um, issues of sexuality and gender. The Bible does speak into issues of being pro-life, and the Bible speaks into what does it mean that you you would be a, a the body of Christ within a culture that needs to hear about grace and love and truth. Um, so the whole point of the series, if 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 your if your interest is piqued, um, it, I, I hate to disappoint you, but the whole point of the series is to de-escalate the drama. Yes, it's it's yeah. to It's to um, not elevate or exacerbate all of the tension that's out there, uh, but to remind the church that we need to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And so if we're picking up our megaphones and yelling, we're actually not doing any good. Um, We stand for truth. And if you listen to the series, you'll probably get a pretty clear picture of where our church's theology is and where I stand on issues. But regardless of whether you agree with me or disagree with me on the theology, of what I'm teaching, I think we can all agree that Christians are to posture themselves in service and love and grace and to uh, make sure that, you know, no matter, even if you vehemently disagree with me, let's say you're an unbeliever in my community and you are on the exact opposite end spectrum of the positions that I'm taking. I would hope that you could still say, well, Sam and Wes Bradenton, yeah, man, I don't agree with anything they say, but they do love you and they are genuine. And, you know, if you need help, you can go there. That's the whole point is is for the church. We're, we're a neighborhood church. That's what we call ourselves. We're a neighborhood church. Right, right. And so we want the neighborhood to feel even if the neighborhood's like, yeah, I don't agree with what they preach there. Um, I still want the neighborhood to be like, well, if you need help, you can go talk to them. You know, I want to be approachable. And when we're venomous, we're not approachable
0: that's so good that's so wise and the the website is for the neighborhood.com and i have to say kind of tongue-in-cheek i love a series like this of people i trust because then i refer our people hey this is what i believe too but go listen to them so you don't get mad at me on sunday but uh (laughs) we have conversations hey so revitalized network this um also intrigues me and i just think again ambitious many talents full of vigor and life um, helping churches is so important, but I think, well, I've heard it said that clergy and law enforcement are the most insecure professions, whether true or untrue. When you know a church, a pastor needs help, what does it take for them to reach out and get help? Yeah, just
1: go to RevitalizeNetwork.com. We've got a form there, a communication form. Um, you can fill that out, um, you know, we've had several churches contact us. In fact, we've, we've been working with the church here in Florida and it has been just, <laughs> Jeff, you'll really appreciate this. This guy, um, and I hope he doesn't mind me saying this cause we've been talking and I, I say it publicly, so I don't <laughs> think he minds, but, um, you know, this church is, uh, it was a dying church. Um, they had like 10, 12 people left huge facility. We're talking 30, 30,000, 40,000 square foot facility massive 400 seat worship space with like 10 12 people maybe 20 maybe 20 on a good day wow. and so they hire uh the only way i know how to describe josh is he's a hippie um a young a young hippie and if he would lived in the 60s t- he would fit the bill <laughs> and as you just get this it's just this strange dichotomy and so we've been we that's just one of many projects that we're doing at revitalize network but they are actually Believe it or not, God has worked and they are, they're not healthy. They're not where they need to be, but they're moving in the right direction. So um, it's, it's awesome that God has blessed uh, with these, this merry mix of misfits in, in the revitalization world. I, when people hear about church revitalization, I, don't, I, I, I need to ask them, what is the picture in their mind? Because the picture in my mind is Josh and his church, the hippie at the traditional church, just like just trying to figure it out. It's the church of 20 that, you know, they weren't paying the bills and now it's a church of 50 and they're paying the bills. And oh, by the way, they've had their first baptism in six years you know these are these are the celebrations yeah. that i have so i don't know when people hear church revitalization if they think wow the church just grew to 300 and 400 and 500 and that's not church revitalization <laughs> church revitalization was yeah you were dead and and now you're not and right. we're going to say we're going to celebrate that right. uh, so really that's what we do at revitalize network is it's just that gritty work of helping churches take that next step Uh, it's really it's 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 cliche but it's one step at a time and and it's a joy man i absolutely love it there is no glamour in this there there's absolutely no uh you know no sort of uh uh, well we're not going to win awards for for things that are happening but but i think there's kingdom rewards in that that church that probably would have not survived the pandemic did and and they're they're gonna they're gonna do kingdom work on the other
0: side of this. And I believe it was you. And uh, if it wasn't, you can make up an answer that goes along with my question. But uh, it's um, as we are pro life. Uh, I believe you said that you don't even feel like churches should die or close. Can you just talk about the importance that we don't quote give up on a local church?
1: Amen. That is the first line in my next book, which will be coming out. Uh, six months or so church revitalization checklist. So you can be looking for it. Um, if God can save any person, then he can save any church. No church should die. Some, yeah. some, so I'm kind of quoting my, myself, but um, <laughs> just a, b- a bit egocentric, but anyway, um, no church should die. If you really believe that God can save any person, then a church is a group of people. Why would we not believe that he could save any church? Right. I do not like to hear so-called experts, and I think they mean well. I think most of them mean well, but I don't like to hear them say, well, some churches should just die. But yeah. That's like saying some people should just go to right. hell. Right, right. That's ridiculous. And I'll just call it, if, if you've ever said that, that's ridiculous. Um, no, no church, some, some churches will die just because they, doing what they should be doing, but you no know, church should die. And, and, you know, I, I, I wrote the book and I'm, you know, I'm working at revitalized network because I believe in the work of God. I believe in miracles. And let me tell you, some of these churches, you're like, it'd be a miracle if they survived, Well, you know what? I still believe God does miracles and I'm going to go into every revitalization work, assuming that God's going to do great things um, and just work a miracle. And because I believe that of salvation, I believe that of saving churches.
0: And I appreciate that so much. The church I pastor is actually the church I uh, grew up going to, and we were a church of 17 people for a long time. And uh, 13 of us were related, and there was a ton of conversation about us closing, being closed by the district, and all of that uh, before the pandemic, we were, I don't know, pushing around 120, and it was just really exciting to see the life that God had brought, and uh, we were so glad that we did not, or people did not give up on what God wanted to give life to. So um, I just thank you so much for that. Man, too. that's that's
1: a huge success story, Jeff. I, I'd, I'd known a little bit about your church in the turn. I didn't know the numbers, and just hearing those numbers, wow, and not that everything's about the numbers, it's not, but... Just hearing that your church has grown in that way numerically, uh, boy, that's that's life in the community. That's just not life in the body of Christ, which yeah. of course it is. That's life in the community. That's a great, great story.
0: Well, it was awesome when we had one family unit outnumber our family unit. So we said, <laughs> oh, already there's a power shift, but... Uh... Just so much fun. Hey, Sam Rayner, we'll get you out in a little bit, but for us, we look at you at uh, Church Answers. We look at uh, what your dad writes and some different things. But uh, what I want to know is, who do you listen to? Who do you read? Is it just your dad? Do you just re-listen to your podcast over and over? Or Oh, goodness.
1: Goodness, no. Where are you learning? So some of my heroes of the faith um, are probably some of yours. Um, I I would say Alistair Begg, in terms of preaching, is, you know, (coughs) top of the list, uh, and Tim Keller as well. Um, Even though I'm not as Reformed as they are, uh, theologically, uh, particularly Alistair Begg, you know, I just tend to gravitate towards um, what he says and how he says it. I wish I had his accent. I don't. What an incredible accent it's just an just an amazing communicator um from the practical side um probably i mean most people know who tim keller and alistair Begg are. so it's like okay it's no surprise that you would say that but um but from the practical side i've had some mentors that are quite, probably not quite as well known uh chuck lawless uh is just he's been in my life since i was a teenager and uh he actually he's written books he blogs um he actually has started doing some stuff with us at church answers now so you can go to i think it's chucklawless.com and check him out uh, absolutely uh, just you know he's he is my mentor so he would be somebody like that, that's personally invested in me um and then in terms of like what i'm reading man i'm reading all over the place uh i i try to read widely um i you know i I know this is not a theological show, but I, I come at things from the perspective of being somebody who believes the whole Bible is true. Um, so that gives me a certain viewpoint and a certain bent to anything that I may read or any sort of interpretation that I may have in my life. But I do try to read um, just all over the board. I'm reading a book right now. Um, I'm reading two books, one on baseball card collecting, because I love baseball, yeah. and I've, I've collected a few cards, and I'm selling a few cards because the prices are way up yeah, right I saw now. Yeah, yeah, I'm reading that. I'm I'm reading that. I'm reading a book called Pappy Land, which is about yeah. um bourbon. Uh, and you may think, what, What's a pastor doing reading about bur-? it's it's a story of a family and right. uh, how the yeah, and how the family lost everything and then tried to get it back, just a fascinating story. Theologically, um, because of some of the controversies in my tribe, um, I'm reading some of the source documents of the formation of critical race theory and uh, Thomas Cohn, who uh, is kind of the the godfather, founding father, I I don't know what he would call himself, of black liberation theology. Uh, Obviously, not so much in my camp, and there's a lot that I find that I disagree with. That being said, there's a lot of people talking about this stuff, and nobody seems to have actually read what the authors themselves have written. So I would encourage you, if you find an area of controversy that is interesting to you, go read the original authors go read the people that wrote the theories so that you can speak intelligently into what you disagree with and what you agree with um so i'm actually digging into to some of the things that i've never dug into um in those areas because it's just it's just kind of a hot button issue right now and um i, I you know i try not to be controversial myself but I at least want to be knowledgeable about you know what these what these things are so that's my reading list right now um i i, I read a lot I, I enjoy reading of course I read the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post, I read The Economist, I read The Athletic, I read my local paper, Brayton Herald, I read the Tampa Bay Times. And, you know, all of those sources provide a very broad perspective of what's going on in the world. Um, and I just try to, I try to have that broad perspective, even though my, my perspective is probably narrow by most, but most people would probably say I'm pretty narrow-minded. I would say I'm not closed-minded, but I am narrow-minded, and I'm okay <laughs> with that uh, because I have a very specific belief system that at least try to be fair to others and read broadly, and at least know where they're coming from, even if I disagree with them. I want to know their own words in their own tone, in their own way, rather than just assuming things of them.
0: And that's so wise. And that's when people say, well, Jeff, I disagree with you as a pastor. There's so many pastors, whatever. And I'm like, well, read the Bible and get, you know, a study God to help you as you read the Bible. Then you aren't uh, blaming me or those that are human, but you can really go to God's word. Um, so I had another website up. I don't even think it's up there now. Uh, it is samrainer.com. And I just wanted to highlight that uh, for you. But for you writing, does that come naturally easy? Do you enjoy writing?
1: I do. Um, I write probably six to 10,000 words a week from sermons to books to articles. Um, I do I do at least two podcasts a week. This is actually my sixth podcast this week, Jeff. This is a you. Busy, this was a busy podcast week <laughs> for whatever reason uh, and I enjoy t- I enjoy talking. I enjoy words. If you're listening to this, you probably think Sam talks too much. We want to hear more from Jeff. Um, I talk too much, I have a lot of words so I try to share those words. I will never win any awards for my writing. I don't know that I'm I'm a special writer or. Uh, an award-winning author or, you know, oh, he's got a once-in-a-generation kind of voice. I don't have any of that. I just like communicating a message. I've got a lot of words, so I share them. And every now and then something will catch and, you know, people will read it and a lot of things people don't read. But yeah, I just enjoy the discipline of writing and it's something that I've always done really since I was a teenager. Um, and I I probably will keep cranking out words as long as I can. It's yeah, it's it's just a it's a joy for me more than anything else.
0: Hey Sam, share with me the importance of having Christian parents, and uh, your dad now being famous within the Christian world. What has his integrity and character meant to you?
1: <laughs> yeah. So the crazy thing about my dad, and it's funny to hear people talk about him that only know him through. You know the the evangelical complex or whatever you want to call it you know the, the, the people only know him through his books and stuff he is he is an extreme introvert he's as normal a dude as you're gonna meet if you ask if, if you know he if if you ask to pull his finger he he lets you do it um that's just he's just a normal dude um and he's always been that way and what's wild is see my dad yes he is well known uh, arguably one of the more well-known evangelicals that's out there. Uh, but he didn't even go to Lifeway and really get quote unquote branded until I was 25. So I was out of the house. I was in the corporate world. You know, I had, I would long been gone from, you know, being under my parents supervision when he kind of quote unquote made it. So my perspective of my dad is growing up poor in, you know, downtown St. Pete, you know, you know, urban context, uh, you know, he's kind of struggling to make it. My dad was a pastor and then he went to be, and then we, we kind of went middle-class and when he was dean at a seminary. And so, th- you know, that's my perspective. That's my background. Uh, But yeah, my dad is, uh he's put out a few books that did okay. Um, And people enjoy his stuff. And really, I'm just trying to learn from him. So I feel like I'm kind of on a similar path of I'm a pastor. You know, I think I've got some, a message that I want to put out there. I, I hope a lot of people want to, listen to it and read it when i put it out there but we'll see and i'm just learning under one of the best man i'm i'm, I'm really blessed and my my dad and my family just normal they're just normal people i mean they have problems and issues just like everybody else
0: sam rayner samrayner.com on twitter it's at sam rayner and on instagram it's at sam s rayner we're going to get you out on this question uh hopefully you take it lightly and for fun i know your dad is a college football fan you said that you're a Rays fan baseball fan uh, your brother, Art, he has his own podcast doing his own thing. Where does that competition reach a healthy balance within your own family? And I know for us, we love to banter. We love sarcasm. We love to laugh, and we're kind of loud. With your family, where do you find that balance of not pushing too hard, but just having a good time with one another?
1: Oh, oh, that—that that is our family. I mean, you, you've described our family. Um, so we... Yeah, we compete with each other. And yeah, I want I want more listens on my podcast than my brother's podcast. Of course I do. I want to crush him. Um but but it's done in it's done in good spirits. Uh so but I also want him to be successful. So are we are we highly competitive yes are we competitive with each other of course we are we're family we're brothers but do i want him to succeed beyond his wildest dreams yeah and i think our healthy level of competition is going to help each other get there so um yeah i love my family i hope my brother art does well jess doesn't do as much on the content creation but he does a lot of operational stuff behind the scenes jess actually keeps you know keeps a lot of things running that he's the he's he's the secret sauce to a lot of a lot of the stuff but don't tell him i said that um yeah we've always had that healthy level well we've always had a level of ambition i hope that it's healthy we've always had a level of competition i hope that it's healthy and um we're just that kind of family not not every family culture kind of has that but but we do so our love language is snarkiness and competition and um, i'm gonna beat you at your own game that's our love language
0: Hey, that's a good one. Good one to have. Uh, Sam Rayner, churchanswers.com, revitalizednetwork.org, and the church where you can find the Fever Pitch series is fortheneighborhood.com. Sam, if you would, would you just close us in prayer and pray for us at Living Hope Wesleyan Church, especially as we meet outside, but we really look for space to uh, gather this fall and winter?
1: Absolutely, Jeff. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for Jeff, his family, uh, Lord, what He's doing in Vermont, I uh, certainly lift up Living Hope, and uh, Lord, let them be their name. Um, what a great name for a church! And uh, they want to bring hope for Vermont, and God, I just ask that you uh, bless their hearts' desire, allow them to accomplish your mission, Lord. As they start meeting outside, as they figure out, you know, how to do church in a gathered setting. I know that's a challenge. Um, just let this be a season of, it's going to be, it is going to be a challenge, but let it be a very fruitful season for them. Um, God, they've had quite a story to get from where they were to where they are now. Um, I ask that that story continues for your glory and it's in your son's name, Jesus. I pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Hey, Sam, so much. Uh, we thank you and we wish you all the best. So, uh, take care and we'll be in touch. Take a break. Enjoy the weekend. (laughs) All right, Jeff. You too. All right, man. Again, that's Sam Rayner, make some time. You are listening to Living Hope Wesleyan. It's our local church podcast, hopeforvermont.org. We hope to see you Sunday, 9 a.m. out in my parents' field, 5805 Waterbury Still Road, Waterbury Center, Vermont 05677.